I'm Eric Sean, Fox News. What you're about to hear is out of the mouth of a boss. A mob murder. As it happened, why it happened, and how it happened, as told by a mafia boss himself. Ralph Natale, dawn of the Philadelphia crime family in the late 1990s. Natale is now 83 years old. His book, Last Dawn Standing, The Secret Life of Mob Boss Ralph Natale, details his decades in organized crime. In 2000, Natale flipped and testified for the government because he says his mafia cohorts in the city of brotherly love did not take care of his wife when he went to prison, as was promised and expected. Natali has admitted to seven murders and says the world of organized crime as he knew it has now disappeared. In a matter-of-fact tone, he tells the chilling scenario of how he carried out a mob hit, describes how deals were made in the mafia, how business was carried out in the underworld, with the ultimate threat always looming over their life. In the world that I lived in, the shadow world, dark, dark world, I started when I was a young man. And I started with fine men, men that kept their words. And it worked okay for me until I found out that most of them don't keep their word. And that's why I'm here talking. That's why I became a witness. And uh, that's the reason why. I had a reason for that there. And the anatomy of a murder... Uh, what murder would you uh, like me to, to speak about? Well, how does it? Let's start with how does it start? The boss, in your case, Angelo Bruno, for okay. years, would say, could, could. "What they say? This guy's got to go." And do you question it? Do you uh, have good, feelings good about it? What What goes through your mind? Well, when he told me a couple of times, few times, this guy's got to go because he's not listening. To whoever I sent there, uh, and the old Italian saying, if the man doesn't listen to the first note of a song, he'll never hear the rest. And it's so true. It really is. And uh, one specific time, I tried to save one guy. I never tried to save anybody. When he was gone, he was gone. My my boss told me he had to go. He did this, he, all for basic reasons. And when Angelo Bruno asked you, it was a basic reason because he was not a kill-first guy. He tried a lot of ways to save men, but they couldn't be saved. He'd come and, Ralphie, this is what has to be done. Some, you don't have to tell me anything, Chief. I said, come on, Chief. I was the only one allowed that. Is this what you want done? And then he used to kid me after because I said, give me two weeks, it's done. Two weeks, is that all? I'll get it done. You want it done sooner? Be, it won't be my way. No, no, do it the way you want. And that's how the, many of the men that went to that dark place that we all go. When you said your way, how would you plan it? What Would, would you well, stick them out? Well, it depends. Let's say... Uh, can I use a man of Joe McGrill? Joseph McGrill. He was 37 years old when Natale says he killed him on Christmas night, 1973. McGrill was an organizer for the Teamsters Union Local 107 in Philadelphia. Police say he was shot in the back of the head three times. His body found in a car in New Jersey. Natale says the three shots, his signature. 
McGurl had just been released from prison two months before, having gone away in 1970 on a three-year stretch, convicted of shaking down restaurants as an official of the Bartenders and Restaurant Workers Union. The government said when he got out, McGurl tried to retake control of the union. That brazen move, says Natali, turned out to be a fatal mistake. Joe McGurl was a, uh, a tough Irishman. He had his own neighborhood in South Philadelphia. Uh, and he worked as a truck driver until he got noticed by the men that ran the Teamsters in Philadelphia, and they made him an organizer. And then he showed his way. He was tough, tough with his hands, boxed a little bit. Uh, but he carried a gun. I never seen him use it. He said this, that, this, that. But he made himself a reputation among a lot of people. And people, well, they got to like him, this and that. Him and I became friends. We became friends with a, a friend of mine, Bucky. Bucky Baldino. He's, he's on, he died of cancer when he came home from Lewisburg. He said, listen, I got a bunch of guys that are going to take over that union local, Local 170 in Camden. Uh, and they're afraid that there's going to be some interference by the Cosa Nostra. They called the mob. Joe McGrill now went with these guys that are going to run. And Andy Chalaco, Charlie the Rose, they're both, they're both dead now. He said, okay, we're going to go, we're going to do this, we're going to back you, nobody's going to bother you. And then Joe McGrill said, listen, we need one other guy. Told, told my, my, my best friend, Bucky, Bucky Baldino. He was another fighter. What a fighter he was, too. Amateurs have a good fight. He uh, said, Ralph, they won't run unless you back them. You just, you don't have to go out. I'm not, just, you like to tend, you tend and bar different places. I used to tend bar when I had nothing else to do. When I was sent on a mission, I went on a mission. Otherwise, I, and the best joints I worked in. He, uh, Joe McRill, gets together with Andy Chalaco, Charlie DeRoth. They put that in Bucky Baldino. They decided that they, and they did, they t- took it over. They won the election. Andy Chalaco won. Now, they took over the union. The local, local 170. Right. That belong to the hotel and restaurant workers of America, and they're doing well. But now, Joe McGrill goes, starts to go to the different places and starts shaking people down, sending people in. They didn't mind a little bit, a little dollar here and there, but it happened. Then, Mr. McGrill got a little bit bigger than he really was. He was six foot, but he didn't have it inside of him that that's needed for that. Now. Joe McGrill becomes good friends with me. Bucky said, he wants to be with you, so he wants to be like a mafioso, so the mafia won't bother him. Nobody's going to bother because you're here. I came here because of you. Okay. And we met, after a couple of years, we, we went out, we drank, we gambled, we, we did okay. But uh, he started to get uh, a little, little bigger than he was supposed. He wasn't born to be what he, he's acting. Now, they, I didn't know about it. Bucky didn't tell me about it. They go, they, in, in Jersey, they had a, a, what they call an association. All the hotels, bars, 
anything that belonged. They, then when they negotiated with the union, they negotiated in strength, they figured. So come contract time, they all sat down, Joe McGrill with uh, Andy Chalaco and Bucky, and with the association of all the guys. They said, this is what we want, what we don't want, this and that there. Then McGrill takes one of the fellows. I said, can I talk to you? Yeah, I'm only going to talk to you. It can be done very easy if 100000 cash is not given to us within a week. We'll do what we got. If not, we're going to call a general strike. So he wanted a bribe not to have a strike. Right, right, right. That's what he wanted. Well, he tangled with the wrong guy in, in that association. His name was Eugene Morey. Eugene Morey owned Garden State Race Park. He owned Hialeah. Nice, nice old man. Gray hair. A wonderful man who worked hard. All his life, he said. He said, "Watch to this one fellow." He said, "He wants a hundred thousand. Who? The grill? Who's here sitting here? Andy Chalaco and Bucky Baldino. They want it within a week. We'll take. They'll, they'll do everything. If not, they're going on strike. We're going to have a problem. That's the hotels that was in the area. Everything. Oh yeah." Okay, uh, put him off. Tell him I'm, you're talking to someone I'm going to discuss it with. His discussion was to the FBI. He went right to them. They all knew him. They loved him. Long story made him to a short one. They asked at the wrong time. They got him on wire. They got him on this and there. They got, in, they got arrested. They got indicted. McGrill. McGrill, McGrill Bucky Baldino. Mm-hmm. And who was my buddy. And Andy Chalaco, who was a nice, nice young man. Now, it comes down to where they all have to go to court in Jersey, in Camden, New Jersey, federal court. He goes, and they're going to go to trial, but he had it in his mind. He said, we'll go make a deal. They listened to him. That's McGrill. McGrill's thinking to make a deal. McGrill's the boss. Okay. He said, we're going to get, we'll make 100 Gs. We'll cut it up. We're going to be fine. Well, they went, they went to the trial. Last moment, McGrill and his attorney got a deal done for three of them. He got five years. Andy got three. And Bucky got two. They were facing 20 years on a RICO. My God, they went to jail. They were in shock. Okay, they went to jail. Now, Mr. McGrill, he ends up talking to a guy from New York and his crew. There's quite a few New Yorkers there, mob guys, ex-mob, whatever. His name was John Gotti, and he wasn't a soldier yet. As you sit around drinking coffee and spend a little time out in the yard. He described a mob conflict that developed behind bars between his Philadelphia crime family, headed by Angelo Bruno, who was known as the Docile Don, and the Gambino family of New York, headed by the legendary mob boss, Carlo Gambino. Natalie describes the interaction between future Gambino boss, John Gotti, and McGrill, who were both serving time together in federal prison. Natalie says Gotti wanted to take over the union for the Gambinos until he learned the union was Natalie's deal. He tells John Gotti and a few of those guys, you know, I got a, a union in Jersey. I own that union. 
It's the hotel and restaurant, bars, hotels, everything. And everybody's talking now, even the papers, that they're going to make Atlantic City, they're going to give gambling to Atlantic City. And guess who's got... It belongs to the same international, and I got that too, but Local 170 is going to run that. Well, John Gotti, he hears this and makes him even bigger. Ready, It's mine. It's mine. Okay. I said, who's running it now? Uh, that local. He said, oh, that's my, my best friend, Ralph Natale. What you're describing is Gotti wants to take over the union because gamble for, for the Gambinos. For the Gambinos. For New York. because yeah. He went right to, to the underboss and told him, we got it. Let them vote and put, put gambling in. But McGrill is saying, and no, McGrill's he has saying it. saying he's got to control. He controls everything. For Angelo Bruno, who was your boss. He said he could. Not that even oh. Ange knew about it. So he's trying to cut out. You, you he guys. wants to cut out me. He figures I'm going to. I'll tell Lance, not come here. I'm going to make money, and I'll tell Lance, listen, this is what we're going to do. But that wasn't my style. It was his style. He didn't know the real style of being and how to make a deal. So That's what did it. what did he do wrong? So Joe McGrill did this wrong. He told the moment and the day he opened up and said, I own that day, and I'll take control and I'll take control of Atlantic City. I need your help from New York. I want to be with your family, and that's what I'll need. John Gotti runs back and tells Neil Della Croce. Neil Della Croce, known as Mr. Neil, was the underboss of the Gambino crime family at the time, who eventually took John Gotti under his wing. In 1985, it was Della Croce's death from cancer that paved the way for Gotti to order the murder of Gambino boss Paul Castellano and his new underboss, Tommy Bellotti, as they pulled up into Lincoln to go to dinner at Sparks Steakhouse in Manhattan. That's when Gotti took control of the Gambino family. But back in prison, McGrill, says Natalie, refused to listen to his warnings to back off his efforts to grab the union. McGrill's punishment would eventually come later for Natalie on a Christmas night. He heard that. He said, I think Carlo told me something about that. Carlo Gambino, Gambino, who's the head of the Gambino crime family. Eventually, Atlantic City's going to become gambling. He said, and Carlo told Neil, you know, Ange and me are like brothers. He could share what that did. And Ange is Angelo Bruno. Angelo Bruno. they're, They're together. Gambino and Bruno have an alliance. He calls, he gets in touch with Ange, Carlo. I got to see it. He goes down. He goes and, and visits him in New York. They sit down, they have some kind of his coffee. He said, didn't you tell me, the, the kid, they used to call me the kid then, there's one in that there and he's your most this, dependable man, meaning when he sent me on something, the guy, he never saw that guy anymore. Anyway, he said, yeah, why? He said, didn't you tell me you had that, when they vote on this gambling, you're going to, he's going to run it for you and me, because they were partners in everything. When he heard this here, he told me, you better go see that kid. That Irishman, you said you like him? Yeah, he's a good, good guy. He's a good guy. He said, uh, go see him and tell him it don't belong to him. It belongs to us. Notice how I say us. La cosa nostra. 
And we have plans for that, and we're going to tell you about it. In fact, next week you're going to take a ride to New York with me. But you got to straighten this out. I said it'll be done tomorrow morning. I'll go and visit Joe McGrill in Lewisburg. And I go up there by myself, nobody in the corner. I said, how you doing? Uh, listen, I got to tell you something. You're not going to be too happy about this, but I'm going to make you very happy. There's a, a, a company, trucking company, that I'm going to put together with Frankie Vadino was my driver. You and him are going to own it. You're going to haul all the bottles that they use in Schmidt's Brewery. And they'll back, they'll, everything's going to be taken out of that company. And Ralphie's going to arrange where you have a down payment on a home in Cherry Hill. But you cannot speak or even whisper about Atlantic City. You know the money, that's billions compared to 100,000 here. He said, well, Ralph, I said, listen, Joey, listen to what I'm telling you. Didn't I make you the godfather of my, my, my daughter, my last, my last child? Yes. That's because Bucky said you wanted that so much so, to be part of me so you could be, be, be baptize. And didn't I do that? Guys would say, you got a right Irish guy. He's going, I'm going to do it. I said... And you're gonna, your home's going to be taken care of. I'll get the guys with the furniture. We'll get, don't worry. You'll have everything. When you come out, you got a caddy, that, a salary coming in. What else you do, you can do. Hijack, but you do not even whisper about Atlantic City. Did he listen to you? And he, oh, I love you, Bob. I swear to God, I'll good, good, this and that. He swore up and down. I pledge all my love for you. Okay, good. But did I he- said, I'm going. He, he didn't listen. No, he, he did? didn't listen. As all men, when you're not born into this, you're not born to be what you're supposed to be. Don't try to be in it. Don't go. Go away from that because you'll get burned. He, again, a month goes by. Again, the thing from America. He's talking. He's still talking. He's still doing it. He's going to make arrangements. When he gets out, he's going to New York to see who he's got to see. I said, he what? Yes, he did this. I said, this guy's got to be crazy. I said, if Angie, oh, Angie's going to be, forget it. Naturally, they send somebody down telling their hands, this guy's still talking. And Carlos said, not to get insulted, but you said you were, you're a man, Ralphie. You said he's the most dependable man when you sent him anywhere, everything's done. And you said he took care of it, which I thought I did. Mm-hmm. I didn't. He didn't, li- he didn't listen to me. He didn't hear the first note of the song. He said, you, that's when they said, I have to repeat that again to you. He did not hear the first note of the song he's not going to hear the rest you do what you got to do he'll be home six eight months from now that's it boom 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 I'll kiss I said okay I said I wish I could do it now I said I gotta I gotta go up there I gotta go do it again I gotta go see this guy why he did this 
in my play again I, by myself. You went a second time. Yes, second time. And did he listen to you the second time? He swore he didn't talk and this oh. and that. I looked at him. I wrote in my some of the chapters I had. I don't know if you ever read that. Yes, I did. Yeah. The book. Yeah. Last well, not on the, this is this is something else. Yeah. But the book says it all. I said, uh, my God, Joey, I turned down sit there. What you do again? Oh, I didn't know, baby. I looked at him. In the book, it tells you, my, when I looked at him and I shook his hand, I looked at him in the eyes. I couldn't find him in his eyes. Was I don't know if you get that. It's, I could not find he him. He wasn't there. He yeah. wasn't there. He was disobeying the orders. He was trying to That's horn it. in on Atlantic City. He tried to be something he wasn't born and, to and, be. And he gets out, and it's Christmas Day. No. Well, what Christmas Day do? is coming. Okay. What did you do? Well, Christmas Day, we had dinner. My whole family was there. We had a great time. Come in the evening, early in the evening. I said, I think this would be a good time to myself. I'm going to kill him tonight. So everybody that tries to do something, no Christmas night, this is a present you're going to get from me. And that's what's going to happen. I was seven, eight o'clock at night. I get on the phone. I call Joe McGrill at home. Hey, buddy. I, yeah, go listen. Another joint just opened up. He's having a dry run. Of course, it's Christmas night. It's on the White Horse Pike, Carmen D'Angelo. Yeah, I know Carmen. Yeah, he had the cinnamons and country house. It burned down. He said, uh, wow. Let's go open these. Open this. Let's go shake them down. We'll grab a few dollars for Christmas. He couldn't wait. Bing, bing, I'll meet you over at your place, which was the Holiday Inn. I leased the bar and the restaurant there. I said, okay, good. I'll tell Franny, you know, we're going to come over and save him. We're going to be a while. Okay, good. Bing. I go. I'm sitting there with Franny McDonald, who's the general manager and bartender. He won the Silver Star in the Marine Corps in the Second World War. Old One of my guys. Always was ready. Always. I'm talking when I said, uh, uh, listen, when the Irishman comes in, I'm going to take him to go shake uh, Carmen D'Angelo. He said, it's, clo- it's close. It's Christmas. He's going, I told him he's got a dry run. I said, come on, take a ride with me. I didn't tell him I was going to kill him. Right there and there. I just said, yeah. he knew... You better take a ride. Anyway, Joe McGrill comes in. Hey, Ralph, I mean, we had a couple of bangers. He said, let's go. Yeah, come on. Let's go get this done. We'll grab this money. We could use a little Christmas money. As we're walking out, he's got a long uh, cashmere coat, overcoat. I know he always carried a pistol. And as he's walking, I'm, I lean back a little bit and walking. And I could see... I could see when it comes to pistols and looking at people, I could see it. And it was just banging a little bit as he was walking. His leg kicked it. Oh, it's all loaded up. Man. Maybe he's got something on his mind for me. That's okay. But it's even's even. We get in the, to the caddy. He goes and opens the side and opens the locks. I was first there. Franny was behind. Franny, I opened the door. I jumped in the back of the seat, back of the car. Well, I said, no, sit back here. I'm nice and comfortable. Brandy went and sat there. B, 
Bean, come on, let's go. That's where it's at. Franny knows. Go here, go there. We're driving about 10, 15 minutes. I said, is that where it's supposed to be? Yeah, yeah, go in. He's driving, he makes it, and he goes, turns into uh, the parking lot. As he's in the place, he says, hey, Rob, what's going on here? There's no lights here. That's when I said, this is what's going on, buddy. Bing, bing, bing. Three in the, in the back of the head. It all went in the same hole, too. That's how quick I was. Wow. What? And he hit, boom, he was gone. Franny was shocked. I had to lean over, push the thing, and stop, in the, and drive, stop the car. It hit the side of the boom. I'm not hard. Come on, let's get out. Let him stay, this dog. He wanted to carry him in. Let him stay the way he's at. He said, but I ain't got nobody. I called Mickey up. Mickey McBride was a bartender for us. Tell him to come and pick us. The car broke down, the thing, everything. And you left the car there? Left his car with his Mc, body. McGraw him and I, me and, me and Freddie, took a nice walk down the White Horse Pike. Soon a little bar was still open over there. We went in. I said, call, call for me. Just like that? Call. He called. Boom. Yes, I'll, I'll pick you up. Yeah, the car broke down. I showed him where we were. We were on a White Horse Pike somewhere, right near this bar. And... Uh, he said, Jesus Christ. And I looked at him. He he was going to hold, if anybody. Mm-hmm. He was going to. What, a quick question. In a car, I mean, it's so loud. Isn't a gun so loud when it goes off? I couldn't hear it for, <laughs> for 15 minutes after him. Right in there. Bing, bing, bing. But I I was so accustomed to doing this. I would have never shot him in the back, but I had to get him from the back. My M.O., it's right in their face. Give it to them. And the FBI told me that when it, when I became a witness, we knew you get this guy. We couldn't put the goods on you, but you you banged him in the head. Why did you do that? Why in the face? To make him notice it's me. Simple. Did you ever feel guilty? No, no guilt. Why not? Why would I feel guilty? He deserved it. I was like this when I was a boy, a, a young man, eleven, twelve years old. I knew what I was. I really did. And I got through my life that way. Nobody would dare touch me. If the guy was the best fist fighter in the street, in the neighborhood, a little arguments, no way, Ralph, I'm I'm just, uh, I'm not arguing. I took a couple beatings that way (laughs) with my hands. I could go, but not with these guys. And said, Send words to everything and everybody. Anybody comes near me, touches me, I'm going to kill them. You, they knew it. You pled guilty to seven men. Those and, are the ones you pled guilty to. Yeah, the other ones. The other ones were. They went in the air. At, in the what? In the air. In the air. So they're more in the air. Yeah. What about morals and ethics? Did you think morals or well, God or y- religion? You know, you know, what were you I, doing is ethically, I'm, morally wrong. I'm a fairly intelligent man. Fairly intelligent. And my morals and ethics and things didn't enter into my mind. I was going to earn a living. I was going to end up being, when age goes, I knew I was had a good shot to be a boss. That's my family's. It's going to be for my, my wife and children. That's I went to work like a plumber would go to work. Starts as an apprentice and he becomes a plumber and he works, making big money. My big money 
was being what I was. When I used to walk into a bar, they knew, and they look around, guys would look around, they knew something was going to happen. So and these things happen. That's my life. That's in that book. It's all true. And that's how we do I never, never killed an innocent man. Never. And never touched a woman or a child. And when, when you say innocent, you mean a civilian? A civilian, yes. Or the people who are not in the life? Not in the life, and, and, yes. And to you, you, it's rationalized, or the reason is they they were greedy, or they were, gonna, they were disobeying the boss, disobeying the rules. If they stick their foot in that, that circle, and that belongs to certain people, they're not going to have any foot left. It don't work that way. And it works their way throughout the La Cosa Nostra, when it was a real Cosa Nostra. And that's why I killed Joe McGrill. He wanted to take what from me? You're going to take from me? I got five children you're going to take from me? I might as well shoot myself. Why would I make someone take something from me that don't belong to him? And finally, it, finally on this note, you said the way La Cosa Nostra was. What's it like today? Oh, my God. You got guys with big yeah, mouths and talk, but nothing. Nothing. It's nothing today. They make guys today who dress fancy, who talk fancy, and they got, they got a number book. They get a big book. They're not like I am. Ralph Natale, really, we heard something that was out of the mouth of a boss. Your book is Last Dawn Standing. Thank you for sharing your views and your life. It's a pleasure being here with you, Eric. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.